Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. God hates sin. Every year, members of the Philadelphia Church of God picture the complete destruction of sin by keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is a festival that God commands us to keep. This is right near the beginning of God's annual festival plan. These, these annual observances picture God's master plan for all mankind. So right after the Passover, just a day later, we head straight into a new observance, the festival or the feast of unleavened bread. This is Exodus chapter 12, starting here in verse 15. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And then it goes, it goes on to talk about how this should be kept forever. Notice verse 17, Exodus 12, verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. This was a joyous celebration for the ancient Israelites. Released from slavery in Egypt by God's miracles after hundreds of years. And so they memorialized their newfound freedom by keeping the festival of unleavened bread. Moses continually reminded the people, and so did Joshua after him, of the importance of this annual festival. Exodus chapter 13, this is just the very next chapter, Moses is reminding the people again. And Moses said unto the people, this is verse 3, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Eternal brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. Moses and Joshua always reinforce the importance of this festival. But it wasn't just for the ancient Israelites. This is an ordinance forever. God's people for all time are meant to keep these days. Exodus 31 verse 13 says, Speak you also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the eternal that does sanctify you. The Sabbath day every week 
Friday sunset to Saturday sunset is an identifying sign of God's loyal people. True Christians today keep the weekly Sabbath, but there are also annual Sabbaths. The days of unleavened bread include a Sabbath day on the first day and another Sabbath day, a holy day, on the seventh and final day. There are Sabbath observances throughout the year that picture God's master plan. So this is pretty interesting and and maybe something that we don't hear from very many sources. This idea of keeping a Sabbath day. God talked about this with the ancient Israelites, and yet we can look in the New Testament, we can prove thoroughly that Christ kept the Sabbath and Christ kept the holy days. And not only him, but his disciples, the apostles after Christ was gone, were keeping these days as well. The late Herbert W. Armstrong wrote in Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which about how these holy days are still in effect today. They're not gone just because ancient Israel is gone. We have to keep these days today. And it's only logical because this is a step-by-step plan. God's plan of redemption and salvation for all mankind. Every year we picture this plan by keeping these holy days. It starts off with Passover on page 19 of Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which a booklet that you can get for free at thetrumpet.com. Mr. Armstrong writes, can you see the wonderful meaning? Do you grasp the true significance of it all? Do you see God's purpose? The Passover only pictures the death of Christ for the remission of sins that are past. He references Romans 3 verse 25. The accepting of his blood does not forgive sins we may later commit. It does not give license to continue in sin. Therefore, when we accept it, our sins are forgiven only up to that time. Past sins. That is a major point of contention in Christianity today. Now, obviously, most professing Christians don't keep Passover in the first place, but they do believe that Christ's sacrifice freed them from the burden of the law. They think that Christ did it perfectly, so they don't have to even really try anymore. Christ's sacrifice means they can go on and live however they please. And yet it's just not logical. That does not actually make sense when we think about it. Sin killed Christ. It separated him from his father and his eternal companion why would they be okay with us continuing in sin? 
Mr. Armstrong continues here on page 19. But shall we stop there with only past sins forgiven? We are still flesh beings. We, we still shall suffer temptations. Sin has held us in its clutch. We have been slaves to sin in its power. And we are powerless to deliver ourselves from it. We have been in bondage to sin. Sin is slavery. Sin is misery. We shouldn't even desire it because it brings pain into our lives. Sure, there, there might be a little bit of temporary gratification sometimes when we sin, when we choose to obey ourselves instead of obeying God. But as soon as the gratification wears off, the guilt sets in, the shame sets in, the nagging lack of fulfillment and contentment, we still will have a void in our lives that we need to fill and that we can only fill by the power of God's Holy Spirit through a thriving relationship with God. That's the only way to escape the agony of sin. And yet, how often do we see people out there just searching high and low to fill the void that God created in them by just engaging in endless sin? God made us incomplete. He made us to need him. That's the only way to fill the void. Sin, if anything, makes the void in us even bigger. And it makes us even more discontent. Exodus 14 here just shows how the Israelites were trapped once Egypt was crushed by the 10 plagues, then Pharaoh decided to let Egypt go or let the Israelites leave. He freed them from bondage and said they could go home. They could go to the promised land. Israel left. They were overjoyed. And then... They got to the Red Sea and were absolutely trapped because Pharaoh changed his mind and he marshaled his army and sent them out to track down those Israelites. Surely it was about to be a massacre. That's what you would think. And yet God worked an astounding miracle and he made sure that the Israelites were saved. Exodus 14 verse 13. Here Moses speaks to the panicking Israelites as they see the Egyptian army bearing down on them. Moses said, fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of the eternal, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. 
Verse 14, the eternal shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And then sure enough, God through Moses parted the waters of the Red Sea, held those two mighty walls of water up so that the Israelites could walk safely through. And then as soon as the Egyptians entered the seabed to pursue and destroy the Israelites, God sent the water crashing right down on top of them, drowning every single one. Notice just the reaction of the Israelites to this. When finally they were truly free. Exodus 15 verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the eternal and spoke saying, I will sing unto the eternal for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. And the song continues there. It's really beautiful poetry and lyrics in Exodus chapter 15. But the Israelites sang. They were thrilled. They were overjoyed. They felt hope spring eternal when they were released from bondage and set free. There is just a perfect picture here as Mr. Armstrong describes in pagan holidays or God's holy days, which so much symbolism for us to learn from in this example of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. So this was really the first day of unleavened bread when the Egyptians set the Israelites free and then during these days of unleavened bread, the Israelites experienced the complete deliverance from Egypt. Notice page 21 of Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which if Egypt is a type of sin, then surely Pharaoh must picture Satan the army of Egypt, Satan's demons. While the Israelites were in Egypt, they were Pharaoh's slaves, helpless and powerless under his taskmasters, just as the sinner is in the power of the devil. But when Israel took the blood of the lamb, then God acted, and as a result, Pharaoh released Israel. When we accept Christ's blood, God acts, and the devil must release us. We have our part. We have to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as pictured by the Passover, which I talked about on the show last week. But then God takes action, and he forces the devil to re release us from the bondage to sin. Israel is, was thrilled. They, they exalted God. They were elated when they were delivered. And Mr. Armstrong says, 
so does the newly begotten Christian start out his Christian life up in the clouds of happiness and joy. But what happens? The devil and sin immediately pursue after the newly begotten Son of God, and soon the new and inexperienced Christian finds he is down in the depths of discouragement and tempted to give up and quit. You see, true Christians are making the effort to come out of sin, come out of this evil world, just like the Israelites came out of Egypt. But just because we are baptized after meeting the conditions of faith and obedience, repentance and faith, that, that doesn't mean Satan quits. He certainly will pursue us even more fiercely. And it can be easy to get discouraged. And that's when we do need to turn to God and let him fight our battles for us. Obviously, the Israelites panicked when they saw Pharaoh and the Egyptians pursuing them a type of Satan and the demons. And what human among us could withstand a mighty demonic army? Obviously, we need help, powerful help, to fight off this evil force. Page 22, helpless, we are told to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, just like Moses said to the Israelites. Continuing here, he shall fight for us. We cannot conquer Satan and sin, but he can. It is the risen Christ, our high priest, who will cleanse us, sanctify us, deliver us, who said he would never leave us nor forsake us. We cannot keep the commandments in our own power and strength, but Christ in us can keep them. We must rely on him in faith. Mr. Armstrong continues. He talks about the pillar cloud, which was really a cloud by day and fire by night. This was God's way of leading the Israelites and protecting them, separating them from the pursuing Egyptians. God parted the waters of the Red Sea. This was really a type of God's Holy Spirit. Water is a type of the Holy Spirit. And so... When the, the waters of the Red Sea opened up and then, they, and then the waters swallowed up the Egyptians, it was like how the Holy Spirit removes and covers our sins. We receive that forgiveness from God when we really do repent of our sins and accept Christ's sacrifice. And God washes those sins away from us. 
And every time we fall, we have to get back up again. And we keep on fighting and we keep on moving forward. There's no need to get discouraged. We have all the help we need to win this spiritual war. Page 23 says how the Israelites saw the Egyptians no more. What a wonderful picture. God does give us help by the power of his Holy Spirit. He fights our battles for us. He answers our prayers. He works miracles. He helps us hurdle every obstacle in our path. As we come out of sin, as we build on the momentum of Passover and follow Christ's perfect example, the way he fought against sin to resist and avoid sin is the same way we must live. And that's what we picture during the days of unleavened bread, this seven day annual festival. God gives us specific battle tactics as well to help us achieve victory. You can get a free copy of how to be an overcomer to learn how to win your war against sin. Notice this short article from the March, April, 2023 Royal vision, which you can get a free subscription to at the trumpet.com. This is titled concentrate on the heart of the problem. And here in this article, Edwin Trables shows how the great French general Napoleon would focus all of his firepower on one specific part of the enemy. This was a new, innovative battle strategy at the time. Instead of spreading out the artillery, he put 36 guns or more a grand artillery focusing on just one area. Sometimes 100 cannons or more bombarding the same part of the army. And Napoleon said, nothing will resist. Whereas the same number of cannons spread out along the line would not give the same results. Napoleon said, there are in Europe many good generals, but they see too many things at once. I see only one thing, namely the enemy's main body. I try to crush it, confident that secondary matters will then settle themselves. In How to Be an Overcomer, Mr. Gerald Flurry comments on that. Getting distracted by the secondary matters doesn't bring down the enemy. It only wastes precious time. We must concentrate on the main body, the heart of the problem, and crush it. Then the secondary matters will fall into place. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is all about. Crushing and completely eradicating sin and experiencing full joy, happiness, and peace of mind as a result. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. 
please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.